0: These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community.
1: And that's what the survey told us. People are missing that sense of community. People are missing flexibility. People are missing warmth and acknowledgement. That was really it. Ask people what do they need and then deliver what they need. And it's really about being in tune and and listening and learning and then delivering on what those things are going to look like for the people.
0: Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the Engineering Leadership Community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Belonging and business results do not need to be opposing priorities. In fact, belonging is the key to unlock your team's performance and improve your retention. Lucius DePhillips, Chief Information Officer at Airbnb, joins us to share how belonging is the first principle that paves the way for all other business goals. In our conversation, we cover things like why belonging matters, how to understand the different experiences and needs of folks on your team, how to leverage design thinking for your employee experience to create programs and policies that actually enhance belonging and retention. How flexibility made a critical impact on Airbnb's teams during the height of the pandemic. And Lucius shares tons of frameworks and practices to help you create greater belonging, both organizationally and individually. Let me introduce you to Lucius. Lucius DePhillips is the Chief Information Officer at Airbnb. He also serves as the executive sponsor for several diversity and belonging groups and initiatives across the company and has been instrumental in helping to improve the ways in which Airbnb attracts and retains diverse technical talent. Prior to joining Airbnb, Lucius held multiple technology and operations leadership roles at eBay, PayPal, Bank of America, and General Electric. Lucius does an incredible job unpacking all of the interwoven and holistic dynamics that are at play around belonging and retention. I think you're really going to walk away with some great actions that are going to help you better support your teams. Enjoy our conversation with Lucius DePhillips. Lucius, in doing some research on your background, your engineering leadership career has taken you to a couple different places, like GE, PayPal, Bank of America, and through some of that research, it became pretty apparent you could see some pretty extraordinary and the way I would describe it, it was like pretty nuts business results, like from a lot of those experiences in a lot of different ways. And you've now transitioned into the chief information officer role at Airbnb. And we've heard that you've received one of the highest belonging scores at Airbnb. And that makes me wonder about like the tension between business impact and belonging. And so my immediate reaction is like, whoa, what? And how? That seems like the magical thing to want to create for the people that you work with. Just to open this up, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what that means? And I think we're going to spend a lot of time deconstructing all of the elements that go into something like that. So take us away.
1: You know, I have had a interesting, very versatile career that's taken me in a lot of different places. But really, the underpinning of every role that I've had has been really grounded in connecting and belonging. And that stems from, frankly, how I grew up. You know, I grew up raised by a single parent mom. Uh, I was an only child. And I grew up in upstate New York in a small town that frankly was not very diverse. My mother is Italian and Irish and I have a very mixed background, black, Hispanic, and my father was never in the picture. So I felt different growing up. I never really felt like I could belong. And I found at a very early age, acutely, that for me to connect, for me to feel like I can belong, I wanted to engage, I wanted to reach out. I wanted to really build relationships and learn about people. If people could get past the surface of what they saw in me or could get past some of the things that made me feel different, then I just felt like that was a beautiful way to connect. So I gravitated towards a lot of sports and athletics. I gravitated towards performing arts and sang in the choir and was in musicals. But that was a way for me to crack that, I guess, feeling of not belonging and connecting. And I carry that with me to this day. I feel like any part of being a good leader has to be a bit of a coach, uh, a a bit of an amazing teammate. And if you can create that feeling of belonging within an organization, everything else can really go on autopilot. And and that's how I've taken this role as the CIO at Airbnb. And when we think about belonging, we did have some very good scores in my organization. However, let me just talk a little bit about how we measure belonging at Airbnb. Yeah, that'd be great. Yes, there, there's a very specific question. I'm sure like all companies have employee satisfaction surveys. And one of our key questions that we ask our people at Airbnb is I feel like I belong at Airbnb. And to the degree that you feel like you belong at Airbnb, you either score that high or low. And that was such an important question in a global pandemic, especially where we are all remote. Airbnb is still remote, has not opened our offices back up. So we wanted to really understand how can we make people feel like they can belong even more. So we broke it down into three dimensions or three principles. And it's really about belonging and having an inclusive culture, belonging and building relationships, and belonging in the sense of your contributions being recognized and felt and heard. So when we measured all those dimensions, we decided that we had to put a full program around this together. I think our scores, yes, relatively higher across Airbnb. It's not because any other team is better or worse. It's because I felt in our organization specifically, we had to rise to the occasion to make the rest of Airbnb feel like they can belong. In a global pandemic where we're all remote, it is really hard to connect and people felt isolated and lonely. And we in Biz Technology, my CIO organization, have that obligation, that responsibility to provide the technology, the tools, the collaboration, and really be that host to all of the Airbnb employees around the world. And how can I give that feeling to the rest of the Airbnb team if my own organization, who has to rise to the occasion in this virtual remote world, isn't feeling like they can belong for themselves? So we treated it as a very high priority, an equal priority with business results and outcomes. And we put together a a huge amount of programming and projects around how we can belong. So I think that's the simple answer is a, a huge focus in setting an equal priority on belonging and engagement as those business results. And we just felt that it was imperative to really be that focused.
0: It makes me really think about like the the business quote of what gets measured gets managed. So not only making it a priority in terms of measuring belonging equal to everything, but then also having a defined framework for the sort of quote unquote inputs you're looking for that help contribute and create to it.
1: I I love that saying. I have a similar one that I use often, which is what's important gets measured and what's measured gets done.
2: Yeah, there. (laughs) I'm really curious about your uh, providing the infrastructure to make it easier to create a sense of belonging in your company. I'm curious, what are the tools or what are the uh, more practical things that your company did and worked that you believe other company can also borrow and do the same? Great question. So
1: let me talk a little bit about the specific things that we
2: put into our, our programming within
1: my organization and things that were seeded and have now gone across Airbnb. In our programming, we decided to really focus on wellness, wellness is such a key contributor to feeling like you can belong. I've been on my own journey for wellness and we're bringing that to the rest of the organization. And because there's been people in loneliness, and solitude, because we're remote, we've had to really break down and understand how we can focus more on wellness and how it contributes to belonging. And one of the things that we've done is just put together many, many, many things. I'm a big believer in think big, start small, experiment. And we have been having fun engaging all of our people in some of these activities. So to give you some examples, we put out a wellness and remote work best practices memo just to start priming people that this is important. We've done yoga events. We've had mental health workshops around managing anxiety and stress. We've had coordinated wellness day offs across the company. We've had different tributes to recognize different people and what's important to them, Black History Month tributes, Women's History Month roundtables. Uh, We've tried a no meeting day where once a month on Fridays, there's no meetings. We do no meeting Wednesdays for certain parts of our organization. We use Slack quite a bit to keep in touch. And we will post in our social channels, wellness themed activities. Did you go on a hike? Share that. Did something happen cool in your family? Share that but really opening up and making sure people feel like they can share. We've done monthly one-on-one coffee chats. And this has been one of our biggest successes. Mm -hmm. Think of those times you miss when you're not in an office, you're all working remote, that water cooler time where you're just bumping into somebody. That was such a part of Airbnb's culture because we designed our offices to feel like home. So a coffee chat is you sign up, You don't know who you're going to end up with, and you show up on a Zoom, and there's a new person, and you literally just have a coffee chat with them. And we had no idea how big and impactful that would be, but it's gone off like a rocket ship. We do raffles when, if you recognize another employee for their contributions— you get entered into a raffle. So we try to stimulate the right behavior and make sure people feel seen and appreciated. We have done newsletters around appreciations. We also had to do some fun things, like given the time of the year. I'm a big sports fan, so when it's college uh, March Madness time, we decided to do a fun March Madness bracket challenge with our, our team. And then we've done other specific things that are really around skill building. Part of belonging and wellness is also developing yourself, growing yourself. So in addition to collaboration and ways to connect people in this virtual remote world, This programming, which we called lunch and learns is something that we do on a weekly basis. And some of the things we've done in these lunch and learn series have been a module we did called stand up and be heard. And it was a training Mm. series. We've done a lunch and learn series around a framework called discovery insights profile, where you learn about your strengths and how you show up in a team environment, and how to build on that collective energy.
0: A quick follow up question on the skill building. So for those programs, is it team or employee led? Or is it external facilitator coming in? Like, are these sort of self-generated programs or is like a combination of both?
1: It's a mix. Okay. Because I feel like I want this constant loop of you said, we did. And when Mm -hmm. you open up to the organization, that willingness to listen and to understand and be curious about what they need, then it becomes a really powerful feedback loop. And and we take in and engage our employees. If they have a great idea, we let them lead it. But we also augment that. We accentuate it with external experts on certain topics. Mm -hmm. Let me give a couple examples. Amy Edmondson came and did an amazing fireside chat with me on psychological safety world-renowned expert on psychological safety and bringing that to our team because we heard psychological safety was something that was a deficit for many people. Another example is a framework called Native Genius led by Kristen Wheeler. And she came in and facilitated a entire series of workshops. And the concept of Native Genius is we all have innate things, gifts that make us light up or glaze over. And tuning into that is very helpful to help people with their career conversations and and navigating a lot of those conversations.
0: I know the Native Genius framework has played a big role in how you've worked and supported some of the people on your team as well. And so you mentioned like it shapes people's career conversations. And so when we're talking about belonging, and we'll talk about retention in a little bit, have you applied that with your team, like in a way that customizes the conversations for their careers? What did that look like and what's the impact been?
1: It's It's been a phenomenal impact. Let, let me start with how we've applied it. We literally trained everyone on the concept of native genius and had every one of our managers with their teams go through just uh, an assessment. And by the way, we have 500 teammates all around the world spread across 16 different sites. So, we literally had everyone go through the Native Genius Framework, identify for you as an individual, what are those activities or skills or projects that make you light up? What are those activities specifically for you as an individual that might make you glaze over? And then embrace that, be unapologetic about it. And when you learn that, you become much more self-aware And your manager becomes more aware of your hidden gifts or strengths or the things maybe you do well, but you don't enjoy. Again, this concept of glazing over. You get through it, but it's not something that is really powerful. Mm -hmm. So when you have hundreds of people around an organization, at the same time, all becoming extremely self-aware on what energizes them and becoming aware of what demotivates them for whatever reason, you start connecting dots and you put people on the actual work that does light them up. And you give people grace or empathy if they're working on something that is making them glaze over. It's not in their light-up zone of native genius. So literally using it to connect people to different work and projects. That has led to a lot of internal mobility within my organization. People... Trying new roles. You don't change your managers. You don't change your day job, but maybe you take on a short term assignment like a gig, could be one week, two weeks, 30 days. And some of those have turned into real new roles. So when we have career conversations with our people, We use the native genius language and then align them. We've been on this journey for about a year now, and now that is that big impact. People actually moving into new roles in the company that are more aligned to that native genius. And to me, that is what it's all about. If you can align people, their passion, their interests, and now this native genius that they've discovered for themselves and then align that to a next role and make sure that next role is full of those things. People just get so passionate, energetic, and, and they want to get even more excited.
0: I'm in the process of trying to identify the system here because there's a couple dominoes falling for me as you're sharing all these things and how they connect because the impact of having the scale of 500 people across 60 different locations aligned and really excited about the work that they're doing. But to connect all the dots of how it's all working for me, giving people awareness in your team about what lights them up or what glazes them over plus the commitment to action or doing something with that information and awareness then equals more aligned work, which then also then results in like higher belonging scores because if people love what they're doing or they feel like people are helping move them towards something that helps them grow or helps them spend more time on the things that they love equals I feel like I belong and I'm doing things that I care about. Amongst probably some other things, but to me, that seems like okay, trying to identify the system of how those things work. To me, that's a really interesting, interesting outcome to connect all of those things.
1: And there's a form of recognition in that system as well. Mm-hmm. There's a form of people being seen and heard. Yeah. Right. If you go on that journey to understand your gifts, and one of the key subconcepts in this is don't other yourself, meaning don't take it for granted. Right, don't just say ah everybody does that. What I do isn't so special, right? You're othering yourself. So when you tell people, no, this is unique. You do have a gift. You should use it more often. It is a form of recognition. And when someone gets recognized for taking a risk, being courageous, trying out something new, admitting that this isn't really something I'm innately passionate about, that's that's really freeing. And and it builds that trust. It builds more of that psychological safety that I mentioned earlier.
2: In other ways, this is also treating or taking care of your employees' career in a long-term view. That saying that you're not just hired for this specific skill set, for this specific problem, for this role, but we want to learn more about what do you do, what do you like, and we're patient and we give you opportunity and we can coach you to do the thing that you really want to do. It's just involving. It's a a long-term approach to career development versus point of time?
1: I'm smiling, Jerry, because you you said one of my favorite terms, career development. I am a product of career development and people investing in me and me taking risks and frankly, some weird pivots in my career from things that weren't ideal, if you looked at a typical career path. But that is what I also now focus on because I'm a product of that. I want to give that to the rest of my organization and anyone else outside of my organization across Airbnb. And we even have deconstructed career conversations as a part of our framework for belonging and engagement. And it's a very simple framework that I actually applied for myself when I was at a really difficult moment or, or, or I guess choice point in my career. Uh, and it's a very simple construct, a career conversation, I found was very difficult for people to have. And I was curious why it should be <laughs> such a simple thing. And what I heard from people was, oh, yeah, I have a career development plan, and it's 10, 20 pages. And I said, well, how actionable is that? And how conversational is that? Can we demystify career conversations and just make it a real conversation? So career development for me became career conversation. And the career conversation is a framework and a template that I used. And now we roll out to everyone in my organization. And it starts with, what is your story? Literally, what is your story? That's the first part of the career conversation. And your story is not just what companies you've worked for. It's it's not what jobs you've had, what levels you've had. That's a resume. That's boring. Resumes aren't conversational. But when you ask someone their story, and you really learn where' we're, if they're willing to share, of course, where are you from? How did you grow up? What was important to you? What jobs have you had throughout your career, but not just the jobs again, that's resume stuff, but talk about the unique learning or skill or unique experience you had in that job. So I'm notorious for saying, hey, what was your first job? Uh, Actually, Jerry, what was your first job? Do do you remember literally what your first job was ever?
2: Yeah, I do. I do.
1: What what was it?
2: In my first year of college, summertime, I went back to my hometown where I grew up in a small town. I teach a class of high school students of math, English, and all the other things. And it's 20 days. I have to advertise and... Uh, letting my teachers that I, I know to spread out the word and uh, rented a classroom and, and did it. And it feels so good. Like, it's my literally my first job. And I made enough so I can pay my tuition the next year and buy myself some uh, a pair of jeans and, and shoes. And it was, feels quite good.
1: So, and what would you say was a unique learning or skill from that experience that you took with you? You still apply.
2: I think in a way, it's, it is entrepreneurship. It is wanting to change things or change the people around you towards a, like a vision you have and taking action. So Patrick,
0: did you know all that about Jerry? Every Monday we do a team kickoff and we try to come up with a random question. And one of them, I think Jerry was like, what was like a high school job or what was a job that you've done that nobody knows about? And then Jerry shared that story and we shared a couple other, I can't remember the prompt question, but it was a good one.
1: What I just did is literally part of the career conversation, right? What you saw, if you noticed, Jerry's face really lit up as he was telling that story. There was a lot of pride. There was some adversity in that story, and it built character. You talked about entrepreneurship. If I just would have saw your resume, Jerry, and saw that little bullet, I probably wouldn't have had that same experience, right? So again, a story, making something a conversation is important. And if you do that same thing, in my framework, you literally jot down, what is every job I've had and what was that unique thing, learning? That's step one. Then the rest is a little more textbook, right? It's like, what are the skills, the leadership competencies that you excel in? What are the leadership skills or competencies that you would like to work on? And I'm very deliberate about using the word leadership or phrase leadership competencies, because everyone can be a leader. You don't have to be a manager. You can be an individual contributor. And then the last part is talk about what some career development actions, what could they be? For some people, it's I need to find a new role immediately because I'm burned out. The role I'm in now has nothing to do with the story that I told and all the experiences that I've had. It's not leveraging my leadership strengths. I need to change. That is a fine outcome. For others, a career development action, because it's very personal, could be different. Someone may need a mentor. Someone may need to mentor someone else. Someone may need a special assignment or a gig, which is a short term project where you just join another team. So, again, it's this conversation around career. And, Jerry, when you mentioned career development, I couldn't resist talking about this framework because it's a very simple framework. It's all conversational. What's your story? What are those learnings? Where are you strong? Where do you want to get better? And then, what actions can we take together? to set you on that journey. And I'm very proud of that. It's something I've done all my career. And to me, that is the true sign of success, is can I help others along their career journey as others have helped me?
2: Yeah, in a way, I think that transcends the belonging into not only you belong to this company while you're working in this company, it's possible that you belong to this company even after you leave and, and move on to another company. You still have a feeling, you still support and advocate for the previous company you were at because how you get where you are today is very relevant to that experience. It's sort of the, the causal effect. So and most of that makes sense to you. But I in my mind, I think this sort of mapping out the not only just the in-company experience, but also the the other parts as well.
1: Yeah, and it's all these things together. Making people feel like they can belong, it's not something you can make them do. It, you, you have to do things that will really bring that feeling together. And career conversations were one of the things we really focused on in this pandemic, in this remote world, and all this adversity our company's been going through. But other things like the trust equation, which I'm a huge fan of, uh, decision-making frameworks, where we really try to focus on not pushing escalating decisions up, but empowering people with the right tools to explore. What are the options? What are the pros, cons? You have a voice. What is your recommendation? And then, of course, we've talked about insights, discovery, profile, native genius. It's, to me, my leadership toolkit. It is the uh, way we've created this belonging bubble, so to speak, within the CIO organization here.
0: I want to transition topics a little bit, Lucius. One of the things that stood out is Airbnb, it has some of the lowest turnover in the industry. And from what we've learned, that your team also has some of the lowest turnover within the company that has some of the lowest turnover in the industry. So we're trying to speak to a lot of anxiety around retaining people on their team right now, the great resignation is top of mind for a lot of folks. And I think especially in our industry, there's a lot of churn and motion and movement between teams to not only create a, a place of belonging, but also to create a space where you're willing to be a huge ally for somebody's career journey. And the impact then here, what we're looking at it is the, I guess the output of retention. To bring this down to maybe like a specific instance, is there like a story that comes to mind from where you had a career conversation with somebody and it changed their trajectory within Airbnb, where that was the thing that, that maybe made the difference between them staying at Airbnb and continuing to contribute and create a greater sense of belonging or moving on to another company?
1: Yeah, I mentor and uh, coach as many people as my schedule will allow. And I happen to be fortunate enough to be the sponsor for diversity and belonging for all of technology. And in that role, I also am very active in our Black At Air Affinity Group. We call them Air Affinity Groups. They're groups that get together and, and build community. And as a part of that, we have a sponsorship program with our Black At Affinity Group. And I was matched up. With a particular uh, leader who was going through this sponsorship program. And literally, in the career conversation I had with them, they were at a difficult point in their career. They were at a crossroads. They were feeling very dejected, feeling like there wasn't an opportunity for them at Airbnb, and struggling between a choice in their career where they might want to leave the comfort of the function they were in. This particular individual was in our recruiting team. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And through the journey of the career conversations, this person now, if I fast forward, is in a newly created role as a very senior program manager in a completely different part of the company, has since been promoted, and is now here staying at Airbnb. And it was... A really difficult moment. And I could tell that person was thinking about leaving. And to me, that one story really embodies what I've seen across all of Airbnb and what I've seen in my own organization. When people are feeling either lonely or isolated or not sure what point in their career they want to make a move or they're not feeling fulfilled in their current role. You've got to create that environment where you reach out in a very hands-on way. And that story I told about that one individual has been replicated thousands of times, like literally. And and I believe that is what we are doing in our culture that is unique and different, focusing in on individuals and making sure they are feeling recognized and heard and invested in. And and that was a very pivotal moment in, in that individual's career. So I really do believe that can scale. If everyone in the company had a development mindset and was able to have the courage to have that tough conversation about what's not working today, what would be working better? How do I help you? How do I fulfill? How do I sponsor you? How do I give you access to my network? That sponsorship voice is very important. So I'm just very proud of that. That, in, that person in particular through our Black Hat sponsorship program is, is now thriving.
0: The big question I have is is around scaling, because in some of our peer groups, there there is this narrative sometimes that we get exposed to, I want to I wanna talk and have a developmental conversation with my team and be an advocate for their career. But then there's like this kind of undertone of how do I balance their career growth with business goals or team goals and like that tension. And I was wondering if you had any insights around how that concern plays with how to help cultivate more of a development mindset or more of a development-oriented culture. What would you say to somebody who maybe has that, that's the concern that comes up for them?
1: I believe that they're not mutually exclusive, right? Mm -hmm. You have to focus on your career. And I believe if you focus people on their passions, their energy, if they feel seen and heard and have a voice in their own career, then they are going to be more successful in whatever role they are in. And we measure business output and metrics extremely rigorously. We are a very data-driven company and a very data-driven organization. But we see that they can coexist when you have people really excited about what they're doing and have a voice that is different and unique. The business results really come. And, And we do a lot of transparency At What are our key metrics and how do we distill that down to everybody's individual roles that they play. So I really think it's a combination of this duality, we have to have the right operating rhythms, measure the things that are most important and be maniacally focused on those things. Part of this battle that I see in our organization and around the world on a constant basis is we try to do too many things. Mm -hmm. And, And what we try to instill in our organization is do the critical few things and do them extremely well. So through that prioritization process and through this aligning people to where they're uniquely interested and skilled, we have this balance if we see some business results by chance not meeting our expectations and we're not delivering and executing, then we reprioritize. We're maniacal about drilling into root cause. What is off here? And we've just built this culture where those two things are in constant balance and harmony. And if those things are at odds, I think that's a sign of of deeper dysfunction rooted in the organization. I think that's how we've kind of reached this duality in, in the role I'm in today and what I've always strived for, not always successfully uh, in other roles and other companies. I appreciate you sharing that because I think
0: when I usually hear that like from different engineering leaders, like it, it kind of strikes me as almost like a, a limiting belief or like a false narrative or a false belief that we can't have both at the same time, that they can't coexist. And I think the way that you've kind of laid out they have to be equal priorities and like you can do it. And the the results come, I think is a really powerful perspective to have.
1: Well, well what I found fascinating about this really digging in and, and I'm a student of my own team. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly curious and learning from my team and they see that's not just words, but there's action and intentionality behind that. And when you actually see someone who might be thinking, I don't know how we can stretch, I don't know how we can do this, they actually get more and more confidence if they can speak freely, if they have that psychological safety to say, we're off track here, or I think we should be doing this differently. If I can multiply the hundreds and hundreds of people I have in this organization and engage them in a way, the results become easier to attain because we're all in on the same purpose, the same priorities, the same goals, the same metrics. And, And I found people get even more excited about the overarching business goals for our teams, because mm-hmm. they uniquely are more involved in them. I, I mentioned multiply, I mean, it comes from a concept multipliers, and it's an amazing body of work that, that I really use in the organization. It's that concept of every idea is potentially valuable and, and can be used.
0: Can you share a little bit more about multipliers? Because just to relate for a second, the experience you shared is so relatable because any moment where Jerry and I have had a career conversation, because I think one thing I've really admired about Jerry is he's made a lot of intentional space to talk to me about my future direction, trajectory, and career. And every time I've walked away from that conversation feeling more understood and that he's somebody who's really going to back me up and do everything he can to support me along that path. So then the, the energy and the momentum, you walk away from that wanting to contribute more wanting to make a bigger impact, really, like, I feel it emotionally, but I also then feel it in like terms of how easy it is to work after that. Can you share a little bit more about the concept of, of multipliers and break that down a little bit further?
1: Absolutely, obviously, all credit to Liz Wiseman, who did this work. But the impetus for the work was going out to Fortune 500 CEOs and other senior C-suite leaders to just understand, um, dissect what is it that makes them successful. And as Liz did this research, she found a lot of common themes that it, it wasn't just luck or happenstance, that these really effective leaders were doing similar things, even though they had never met each other. And that really spoke to me. For the first time when I read that book, I said, wow, this is a common language for how I have innately liked to lead, how I prefer to lead. And one of the simple concepts is you don't have to know everything. It's more important to ask the right question than to assert your opinion. I'm one person. How can I know more than all the other 500 people in my organization about their unique contribution, their role? So I am always asking questions, and that elicits the engagement from everyone else. And and that is so important. Another concept in the book is the antithesis of what you think a multiplier would be. It's called the diminisher. And there are specific diminishing behaviors that are outlined that these leaders that she studied stayed away from. One of the personas I love most is called the debate maker. Hmm. It's literally a persona on what a multiplier would do. A debate maker is someone who is going to say, we have a problem to solve. Let me be clear on this problem statement. Let's be clear on who the decision maker is. Let's be clear on the options, the pros, the cons. I am playing that debate maker role a lot, and I embrace it. And if I can frame that debate and bring more people to the conversation, then I sit back and then watch the beauty, the intelligence, we're getting more brain power collectively on a big issue. And again, I don't have to have all the answers, but I need to empower my team and set the stage for them to have that debate. That's the debate maker. And so this multiplier concept has many different personas, those attributes, those principles of what multiplying looks like, and then defines clearly what diminishing looks like. A diminishing example would be what I was getting at earlier. When if you just cut people off and talk, 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 we're going to do this because I said so. That's not the way to build a collaborative environment. So I really believe that is also what has helped this organization hit really difficult business goals, but feel good about it along the way, because we demand that you have a voice and, and we create this environment. We multiply, we get the best. And that's what it's all about. As Liz coined it, get the best out of your organization, and it can come from anywhere at any time. So you've got to create that environment, that culture.
0: I I really love the idea of framing the debate and then bringing people in and encouraging people to have a voice going back to our conversation about belonging. Because I feel like when people feel like they have a voice, especially contributing to an important strategic direction of the company or or some of those like really critical conversations, like that sense of contribution in pairing with like that sense of recognition and being heard and being understood is, again, like another powerful structure to introduce. We're talking a, a lot about belonging, Lucius, I wanted to ask a little bit more directly about other maybe things that contribute to retention on your team or Airbnb more broadly. Are there any specific practices or behaviors or structures that you've observed that you believe really has helped impact retention in the team in addition to some of the practices we've talked about with belonging that maybe we haven't covered yet?
1: It's honestly a product of coming together more closely through a common, shared, crazy, full of adversity kind of an event. And, and I, I take a step back and think about Airbnb and everything that we went through. And I think this is an important part of why we focus so much on the things that we are doing for retention. But let, let me mm-hmm. just set a stage for what's been happening the last two years across Airbnb. Yeah, please. May 2020. This was a headline in the Wall Street Journal. Airbnb bookings plunge amid coronavirus pandemic. Oh, my gosh. Bloomberg, April 2020, will Airbnb become obsolete after the coronavirus? April 2020 also, is this the end of Airbnb? Oh, my gosh. It gets better or or worse, depending on your perspective. May 2020, Airbnb cuts 1,900 jobs, 25% of its workforce as pandemic freezes travel. So we literally lost 80% of our business within a very short period of time. And that forced everyone to take one step more close together. This shared almost once in a lifetime, traumatic rocket ship, amazing ascent of Airbnb. And then the, the pandemic almost wiping out our entire business very quickly. So number one, my Like my own personal story, I think adversity builds character. We had adversity at a massive scale across Airbnb. And when that happens, we have created this rallying. And that is part of the actions that we then put in place around retention, which I will get into. I want to complete that story, though, because it's a fascinating turnaround. October 2020, how Airbnb pulled back from the brink. Wall Street Journal. Airbnb skyrockets 120% in IPO. Valuation blows past $100 more than Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt combined. November 2021, Airbnb posts best quarter ever, shattering records for profits and revenue. November 2021, Airbnb is reshaping itself for a fast-changing future. Everything I just pointed to happened in two years. The brink of despair and now the height of an exciting rebound. And... When we were all going through those doom and gloom first press releases that I mentioned to you, we got very close. We focused on what matters most. We reduced our our priorities and, and put a more realistic set of work in front of us. We got closer together and aligned on what is most important in this crisis of our business deteriorating. How do we get it back? Everybody became united out of this really awful business downturn. And there's something unique and special about a common purpose, right? And that is what is ingrained in the Airbnb culture. We're only a a 13, 14-year-old company. We haven't been around that long. But this passion to rise above. So I think that was one thing which you would think would really undermine retention, and it would create a lot of chaos, and we wouldn't be able to really get through that. But I think that was the catalyst for us becoming more close, more tight-knit, and together, focusing on people and this pandemic, how do we get through it, and caring about our guests and hosts all around the world. People love working at Airbnb. Our, Our mission is to belong anywhere. So we, as employees, felt like we had a higher purpose, a higher calling to our community. And that is really what started us saying, we got to rally, we got to rally, we have to rally. When I speak about the obligation that we have to the world, we have 4 million hosts on Airbnb all around the world. And our hosts have earned over $100 billion over the course of their career. So we just felt like we have to be there for our community. We have to survive. So when we hit that doom and gloom, we then started focusing on the things that were going to retain people. We started talking about in this pandemic, how do we give people more flexibility? We didn't talk about work-life balance, right? That is a very slippery slope. Everybody's work is personal. What is balanced for me is not balanced for anyone else. So we didn't talk about work-life balance, we talked about flexibility. We're still remote, as I mentioned earlier. We have not returned back to the office. But we said, you have to create space for wellness. You have to create space for your family, your health personally, your family's health is most important. If you have challenges, please raise them to your manager. If you have an extenuating circumstance, we're all human. We're going through this together. We're isolated. Some of you are feeling lonely. You don't have an outlet. So turning that around and just flipping it on its head, becoming very hands-on and telling people you are safe. You show up as your authentic self. Whatever you're balancing and juggling, you will have flexibility. We're going to prioritize not where you are, or what hours you work or days you work, we're gonna prioritize your flexibility, however you wanna get your work done. And I think that has resonated with people. That has resonated with people because they're looking for that flexibility. I remember a very poignant meeting in my organization where I literally said to my team, I'm not doing okay this week, and, and let me share. And that was such a vulnerable thing for me to do but it reciprocated back so much thanks from the rest of the broader organization because it gave them permission to share why they might be having a bad day or a bad week or balancing something with family or friends or feeling lonely. So I really think embracing that this was our environment, this rallying cry of our business deteriorating and us not wanting to let each other down or our guests and hosts around the world down, and then really tuning into the needs of people and, and making sure they have what they need. There, there was a, a joke I heard recently that if you're a recruiter, all you need to do is chase the companies announcing return to work policies. And whatever company is announcing a return to work policy, you probably can go grab a whole bunch of talent.
0: That has come up in peer groups. We have had some folks share that as a strategic recruiting tactic. Find the people who are doing that and, and just... Go for it. So yeah, I've heard that the same.
1: And I really think giving people that flexibility has has been the thing that's helping retain people. I think the,
0: what you mentioned about tuning into the needs of the people is so powerful because everything you laid out about like the pattern of what Airbnb faced and then the response to that, I think there's a lot of other organizations who who made distinctly different choices or different responses to that same adversity. Can you talk a little bit about what was that process like to tune into the needs of people?
1: Well, all kudos go to our CEO, Brian, really recognizing that the company was in a very difficult place because of the pandemic. And at the same time, people were in pain Because of solitude or others around them getting sick. Mm -hmm. And it's just ingrained in the Airbnb culture to be a host. That is literally one of our most important core values. Be a host. You got to be a host. And the way to be a host is to be in tune with your people and your organization and their needs. You can't be a good host unless you're listening. So it sounds maybe a little obvious, but we actually asked. (laughs) We rolled out a massive survey on what the needs of people were. And this was relatively early on in the pandemic, but a series of questions for us to really listen and learn and understand. And we synthesized all of that and then used that information, right? This remote work study to then, in some cases, not institute hard come back to work policies and figure out what would make being remote, being virtual more effective, more productive? What are your needs? And those surveys led to action, which was beautiful to see. Again, this feedback loop of you said, therefore we did. And that's how we started doing things like company-wide days off for everyone, take a wellness day. And, And then also giving people more tools. What are programs that we can do to support people where they are? And then mainly signaling to the rest of the company what everyone is yearning for. If I were to super summarize that survey in that process, it was about connection, and it was about flexibility, and it was about belonging. And that was what people were yearning for, that connection. And it's so acutely missing at Airbnb because of the amazing, vibrant culture we have like I said earlier, Patrick, our offices were constructed with the eye mm-hmm. for design and making it feel like your home. Oh my gosh. Bring your yeah. dog to work. <laughs> Bring we, your dog to work. Feel at home.
0: One of our last in-person ELC events was at Airbnb. And we were talking about remote hubs, ironically enough, at the time. It was like 2019 or so. And you walk in and you feel like that sense of vibrance and and connection and that just the way that there's like the greenscape. Anyway, I've been in there once well, and it, it was beautiful.
1: Every single conference room is designed for one of our Airbnb listings around the world. Mm. And employees get to volunteer to decorate those rooms. So when you walk into uh, our RV (laughs) uh, or you walk into Bali, you literally feel like you're transported to those places in these conference rooms. So when you miss that... it it lets you realize that something has to replace that feeling of connection, belonging, and that community vibe. And that's what the survey told us. People are missing that sense of community. People are missing flexibility. People are missing that just warmth and acknowledgement. So that was really it. Ask people what do they need and then deliver what they need. And don't rush, right? Uh, Again, we're still all remote. And we've seen a lot of companies have return to work policies and maybe they've undone them or they haven't been well received by employees and that's led to bigger attrition. Mm -hmm. But it's really about being in tune and and listening and learning and then delivering on what those things are going to look like for the people.
0: The The last question before we get into rapid fire, Lucius, is I want to ask you about limiting beliefs around flexibility or helping somebody overcome some of the the preconceived notions around flexibility. But first off, I just want to acknowledge like the impact around the integrity of you said, therefore we did, and just the repeated mechanisms that shows up And then the impact that has on belonging, which then impacts retention, which then also then impacts a lot of other elements about the organization, the culture. I just think it's so powerful.
1: And and Patrick, I think some companies are afraid to ask because either they won't like the answer or they can't make the answer happen and execute on it. And that's what I love about our senior leadership here at Airbnb. And again, it starts with Brian, our CEO we have courage, we have conviction, we are lucky to be founder led. And when we ask people what they need, most times we will deliver it. And if for some odd reason, we can't, it will come with a very thoughtful response on why we can't. So I think all companies need to just embrace that, that that tension or that fear Mm -hmm. to ask the question and, and be unapologetic, because at the end of the day, that is what will matter to people. They were heard, they were seen, you listened, and you applied some of their ideas and engaged them to help along the way.
0: My other question was about what if you can't? We're talking kind of hypothetical abstract right now. But like, if you can't do the thing that they're asking you to do, what would be the response to that if you can't do it? And I think the way you laid that out is really helpful is the thoughtful response why and helping people still feel listened, heard and participate. In the process helps resolve all of the things that can go around something like that. One of the things that comes up in our peer groups with engineering leaders is in this conversation, this tension around flexibility has been well, like either we can't do this or other people in the organization don't want to don't want to do this or be flexible. Are there any recommendations you would give around overcoming like a limiting belief around having a more flexible work environment or like work benefits or work policies? Anything you could share that'd be helpful for somebody who maybe is bumping up against some of those
1: those things? I think the biggest realization that I had and I think we had as a senior leadership team across the company is this was never going to go back to the way things were. The world has changed forever because of this pandemic, because of this isolation, because of people being forced to work. And we, I guess, maybe took a different vantage point of it. We said, we have been operating, leading, doing very well in this company completely remotely Because we've been forced to be remote. Let's learn while we're remote, because we have to be, what would we want to change if, hypothetically, we do come back to the office? And and we really opened our eyes and thought about it differently. And to me, it comes down to, do you have the right kind of tools to be able to enable that Um, again, here we are two years, still remote. I have not been into the Airbnb office, which I miss and love in over two years. But the tools have to come with it. Those were the two biggest hurdles that we maybe looked at it differently. We said, let's really invest in the future of work in the tools. And that's where my team comes in. I'm proud to say we've been in the, I guess, spotlight in terms of helping the company still be productive. And because we thought about it that way, and because we were already relatively advanced in our tools and our collaboration tools, our content tools, I think it was easier for us to stay remote longer. We still are. But then I really believe it starts at the top with our CEO, Brian, thinking about this very differently in a very design way to say, what is the world going to be like? What are the needs going to be like? So I think part of it is technology and investing, but the other part is listen to your teams and embrace the things that happened. I think a lot of people were looking at it as, let's just create a bridge and let's get back to the offices as soon as we can, because obviously this can't be the way we can be productive. (laughs) We can't work this way. Whereas I think we looked at it, I'm very proud of Airbnb, because we looked at it and said, we're forced to be remote. What can we learn about what's good about being remote? And let's apply that to a new future, a new reality, a new norm after this pandemic. And now you're seeing that play out around the world. So many people want to have flexibility. Brian just announced he's going to live on Airbnbs for the first quarter of this year. And we are making that happen because we invest in the tools and we make sure that it's acceptable for people to have that balance. So I just would encourage others to challenge their beliefs that they have to be in the office, you have to see someone certain days, certain times. That's the only way you can have productivity. At Airbnb, we believe that if you invest in people, you create the right culture, and you give them the right tools, then they can be successful anywhere. And I just think it's a fundamental belief that was different, and it started at the top. It's something that
0: has never really occurred to me, Lucius, that this really brought up for me was you're talking about like almost applying design thinking to the employee experience. And it makes me like think of the irony of how come we obsess so much over design thinking for our customers and do incredible things in that space. But to me, it seems like insanely under investing into like design thinking about other critical stakeholders within this relationship, like the employees. And I think one of my favorite books I read actually was by Chip Conley, who was... Um, head of hospitality at Airbnb for a long time. Um, and he talks a lot about helping people transcend Maslow's hierarchy of needs, including your employees, and helping people achieve like that greater level of self expression. And so I think that's something for me is like, wow, it's like profound, like, oh, just think about your employee experience as like a design thinking challenge and design a better thing that helps them meet their needs or transcend to the higher order of, of needs. Amazing.
1: And, and Patrick, that is such a great observation. Because that's what we've been doing this experiment, if you will, where we've all been remote, not in the office, which we know and love so much, it has forced us to apply this design thinking to what we want it to be in the future
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and it is predicated on this flexibility that people do want this flexibility with people flexibility isn't being told you can come into the office tuesday thursday only and then you get 3 weeks the rest of the year you can work anywhere you want that that's kind of flexibility that isn't really flexibility right you're still stipulating to people how they need to work but if you took a design eye and you really observed the needs of people i mean we literally created personas of our employee base. Oh, that's I love that. There were these (laughs) archetypes, right? The isolated engineer who who was alone in in solitude and feeling lonely. The working mom. Just all these different prototypes that everyone had different needs. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. And that's why this concept of flexibility really came in. But unless we took that design eye to it, I don't think we would be this open to these new concepts, these new ideas. And we are all this time, instead of thinking, when can we get back into the office? Because we need everyone to be productive. We've said, let's use this time as a gift to design what we want the future of work to be like.
0: I love that distinction so much. Flexibility is design thinking about the employee experience. That's fantastic. Lucius, we've we've got some rapid fire questions. Are you ready to jump in? I think so. All right, all right. What are you reading or listening to right now?
1: So I, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, unfortunately, when my mother passed away a few years ago, I got really into my own wellness. So I do intermittent fasting and one of my favorite kind of wellness podcasts that I listen to and it updates every couple of days, but Dr. Mark Hyman, the doctor's pharmacy, spelled with an F, is something that I watch, listen to. It's become a family uh, a ritual. I have a 13-year-old son, a 10-year-old daughter, and we will watch and, and listen. So it's rarely cool to, to think about wellness in different ways to stimulate your brain and and just feel healthy and well so I'm listening to that podcast all the time with my family and then I, I guess even though it's not technically a reading or audio books or, or podcast the meditation podcast is one that, mm. as I've getting been getting into meditation I'm listening to that almost daily on Spotify
0: Uh, I used to study exercise science. So I'm gonna definitely check out that the pharmacy also really clever name. I love that. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you?
1: So the biggest impact on my career by far has been my my leadership formative years at GE. I was lucky enough to be in a leadership technology development program for IT. And one of the things as a part of that program was getting a Six Sigma black belt. And, uh, you know, it's, since I've been rebranded as a lot of different things, I think what's old is new again. I've been around long enough to see reincarnations. But just the concept early on in my career of understanding those simple principles about being data-driven and improving processes and understanding customers, the essence of Six Sigma is really about who is your customer? How do you measure what is important to them, critical to their success? How do you actually understand the root causes if you measure what the customers want and need? And then how do you just take practical steps to improve it and make sure it stays in control? And that was very critical for me early on in my career. And it's stuck with me ever since. Here I am over 20 years later, and I am still very data-driven. I am still maniacally focused on customers. My customers now are the rest of the Airbnb employees. Just that attention to being focused, finding root cause, fix it. And I never got into all of the textbook and jargon around Six Sigma. Uh, I was affectionately referred to as the anti black belt because I wanted to keep things practical. But anyway, I use those tips, tricks, methodologies to this day, and how I think about customers and, and getting work done and being very data driven and getting results.
0: I love the throwback to the to the early career. It's, it's amazing. We need to look back on your life and like the early career experiences that really shape your trajectory. I really appreciate that. What's a trend you're seeing or following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet?
1: Ooh, it's, it's this blend of, I guess, virtual reality, augmented reality, coming to the workplace. Like I said earlier, I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. I am seeing the world through their eyes, and it's a very different world. They're constantly playing Roblox, Minecraft, right? So I think this hasn't quite hit the workplace yet, but my team has done a lot of internal pilots, and we've had some hackathons. And two of the things we've tried, just to throw them out there, there's a tool called Topia where you can actually, in 2D, create these virtual spaces and have hangouts. And we did some pilots where we built some spaces in Topia, and everybody had their avatars. And we even simulated an Airbnb office conference room and played around in that. I think the other big trend, more extreme, uh, we've dabbled in spatial, and we even gave folks Oculus headsets. And when you put these on and you're in spatial, it's this... 3d world where i literally had a staff meeting with oculus on with my team and we're in spatial and patrick we were literally high-fiving and you can feel the vibration (laughs) you can feel that vibration so you know this hasn't hit mainstream corporate america yet but imagine if you're an engineer and you're isolated you're alone and you're sitting there and you're coding all day you're isolated you need an outlet well imagine if you could put on your oculus headsets And all of a sudden you look to your right and your left and there's two of your buddies there coding with you, talking with you. So I just think this is the next big thing. Uh, We have been dabbling in it innovatively, again, with with things like spatial or Topia, but this will inevitably be something important.
0: Last two two questions, Lucius. Your favorite, most powerful question to ask or be asked. What's your story? I love that. Uh, And then finally, is there a quote or mantra you live by, or a quote that's really resonating with you right now?
1: I say the same two things all the time. My team picks on me all the time. (laughs) But I I always say, think big, start small. And that is just a a nod to really having a vision, uh, a strategy, but start really small, as small as you possibly can, experiment, get it going, and then figure out how to scale later. And then my other one is life and work, but adversity builds character. I'm a product of that. Myself growing up, I probably should not be in the position I am given how I grew up and the adversity that I experienced. And this company, as I read earlier, some news clips on the crazy two years we've had, adversity builds character.
0: Mm-hmm. Lucius, just to to conclude, I just want to say thank you so much for the just the generosity of your time, but also just the generosity of the the authentic stories that you shared about your life and about the challenges that you face through Airbnb and, and everything going on. I think the thing I'm most excited about is Airbnb's mission about creating belonging for everyone. And this is going to have an impact to help other people that are listening to this podcast, be somebody who can contribute to that mission as well. So just thank you for helping support that.
1: Thank you, Patrick. I I really enjoyed the conversation. And it was a a, a gift, a, a pleasure, a privilege to be a part of it. So thank you for your time as well.
0: In the most critical moments at your company, choosing to weigh belonging and business results as equal priorities can have a tremendous impact on your organization, whether that's by helping you navigate through crisis, enhancing your team's well-being, or by improving your ability to retain your people. To create belonging, you need to demonstrate a willingness to listen and understand. Create reliable feedback loops of, you said, we did. Airbnb leveraged two different surveys. One asked folks to share their sentiment towards the statement, I feel like I belong here. And they answered 1 through 10 about how much they identified with that statement. The second survey focused on creating a better understanding of the different needs of their people during the pandemic. These surveys revealed critical insights around needs for connection, belonging, and flexibility. What they learned was that people experienced widely different challenges throughout the pandemic. And so this means that you need to take a design thinking approach to improve those widely different employee experiences, providing space for people to share and giving flexibility with how and when people work became critical to supporting all employees wherever they were at. Airbnb then designed programs, policies, and tools to support different employee needs, again illustrating a connection between you said, we did. Those were more systemic or organizational approaches. Here are a couple of approaches to bring a sense of belonging to the individual. Help your team build awareness around the work that energizes or motivates them and the type of work that demotivates them. Then work to align their time and what they're focused on around their unique strengths and what lights them up. When you create an understanding around people's unique strengths and you recognize them for that, that is a very powerful form of recognition and then provides a greater sense of belonging. Another way to give someone recognition, have a career conversation. To transform a career conversation to be more actionable, try the framework Lucia supplies and ask questions like, what's your story? What have you learned from how you grew up and the experiences you've had along the way? Where are you strong? Where do you want to get better? What actions can we take together to set you on that journey? For folks to feel like they have a voice, create an environment where your team can openly share and contribute to some of the big challenges that you're facing, To cultivate that open environment of contribution, leverage one of the concepts from multipliers where it's more important to ask the right question than it is to assert your opinion. Or you can become a debate maker where your role becomes more about creating a clear problem statement, clarifying the decision maker, and framing the debate, the options, the pros and cons, and then bringing other people's voices and opinions together into the conversation. In a style like this, folks feel their contribution matters and then you gain greater brain power on those important issues. As Lucia shared, if people feel seen, heard, and have a voice in their own career, they're going to be more successful in whatever role they're in, and the business results really come. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com.